All right. Hey, good morning, Three Circle Church, and not just here at the Fairhope campus, but all of our campuses joining us right now. We have our Daphne campus, Midtown Mobile, Thomasville, and online, man. Really good to have everyone here today. We have an incredible guest speaker with us today. We're super excited about, really honored to have him with us. So as a, as a kid, as a teenager, my youth pastor, who had a big impact on my life, would have our youth ministry watch the Harvest Crusades every year with Pastor Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie is the author of over 70 books. There's a movie being made right now in our area about Greg's life and Pastor Greg's conversion to Christianity. Uh, Harvest Christian Fellowship is the church that he pastors. He has had a multi-decade impact and ministry across the world, literally. So we're really honored to have Pastor Greg Laurie at Three Circle today. Would you join me in welcoming Pastor Greg Laurie? Thank you. Good morning, Three Circle Church. By the way, you're much friendlier than the first service. Come on. No, I'm, they were great. But it's great to be here with you. It's great to be here in Alabama. Uh, this is my first trip to Alabama. And I've uh, just had a lot of great food, I have to tell you. But I've been, I spent quite a bit of time in Mobile. Now I'm here in your fair city, Fair Hope. And I have to tell you, I love this town. This is the greatest town. It really is. I can almost move here, but one of the locals told me not to. I'm, so we're sitting down at this coffee place, and we're just hanging out, and we start talking to these two guys, my wife and I, and we're telling them how much we love their town. And they said, well, I'm, we're so glad you're here. We, you know, come, come back anytime, y'all, and all that. And they said, but go home. So I said, okay. <laughs> Julie noted. So... We've sampled some of your great food here. <laughs> I've been to Panini Pete's. I've been to uh, Home Far Hope Farms, Gambino's, Jesse's. That may be the best hamburger I've ever had at Jesse's, I have to say. But uh, it's just such a great place. I know you like to sweeten a lot of things here. I'm not used to so much sweet tea and deep frying. That's another big thing here in Alabama, isn't it? But... You know, it's a funny thing. Alabama is sort of substituting for California because we're shooting a film called Jesus Revolution. And this film is about the last great spiritual awakening in America. It happened in the early 70s when a whole generation was turned around by a work of God. And I was one of those people, I was 17 years old, so my story is in this film, but it's being filmed right here uh, Kelsey Grammer is playing the role of Pastor Chuck Smith, and some locals have told me they've seen him around town. Jonathan Rumi, uh, who plays Jesus in The Chosen. Y'all seen The Chosen? Yeah. He's in your town too, so don't be alarmed. Uh, if, uh, Jesus is walking down the street at Fairhope. <laughs> That's just Jonathan, but uh, he's a great guy. And then uh, we have uh, Joel Courtney, who plays a uh, young Greg. And then uh, also a young actress named Anna Grace Barlow, who plays a young Kathy, my wife. So we're shooting a scene here coming up on Friday. And it's going to be uh, happening in what town is that? I lost the town. What, what is it? Daphne. Daphne. That's right. It's going to be in Daphne. And we need extras. So how many of you want to be in a movie? Raise your hand. You can be in this movie. We need lots of extras. So look up on the screen. There's the information to text, Jesus Rev. And if you put that number in there, 
Uh, we'll tell you what you need to do to be an extra. And we're going to recreate one of the worship services from the early 70s happening in a tent. Right, Josh? It's going to be in a big tent because we outgrew our church and ended up in this giant tent. And uh, so you that were around back then, you remember these days, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, and hope, and here's Josh sitting in the front row. This is Josh Walsh. I don't know if you can get a camera on him, but Josh will tell you more if you want to know more. And I hope that some of you can be a part of this film, Jesus Revolution. Uh, why don't we pray now? Father, we ask your blessing on this time as we open the word of God. We know that it is true. We know that it can change our lives. You've told us in scripture Low in the volume of, of the book you have come. So come to us, Lord, and speak to us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of my message is What I Would Tell My Younger Self. There's a young actor in this film. His name is Jackson Robert Scott, playing a young Greg Laurie. And uh, he, he's done an amazing job. We shot some of the scenes actually in downtown Mobile, substituting for New York City, of all places. <laughs> And uh, this guy, so it tells my story. So basically, I was conceived out of wedlock. Uh, my mother was a raging alcoholic. She was married and divorced seven times, had a bunch of boyfriends in between. I had this tumultuous, very difficult childhood. And then I came to Christ at 17 during the Jesus movement. So that's all told in this uh, movie. But this little guy has done such an amazing job uh, playing a younger me. And I was talking to him, and, and, I, and he came up to me and said, Mr. Laurie, you've lived a very interesting life. And I said, well, yes, Jackson, but I'm hoping that it will give encouragement to other young people right now that maybe are in troubled situations, that there's hope in a relationship with God. And I did mention in passing that, you know, my mom never hugged me. And he says, well, I'm here hugging you right now. And he gives me a big hug. So I stole him from his mother, and he's now one of my sons. <laughs> He's back in California. No, not really, but um, it made me think a little bit about, wow, wouldn't it be interesting if you could go back in time and talk to a younger version of you? You know, what would I say to a younger me if I had the ability? Years ago, I was with Billy Graham having lunch, and I said, Billy, if an older Billy could speak to a younger Billy, what would you tell yourself to preach on more? And Billy said, I would preach more on the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus because that's where the power is. That, that, that's, a, that's a good reminder, right? Uh, and so I thought, what would I say to a younger me if I could address myself? Well, I think I would say the obvious things. Young Greg, brush your teeth because root canals are no fun. I would say wear sunscreen because if you don't, you'll pay for it later as I have. I would say, you know, when Star Wars comes out the first time, buy a lot of those figures and keep them in their original packaging. <laughs> and while you're at it, buy some Barbie dolls. I know it's going to be weird. Buy them. <laughs> keep them in original packaging. They'll be worth a lot of money one day. I would tell Greg on his wedding day, Greg, don't wear this tuxedo. Look at the screen. Now, let's see. <laughs> now that's me and my wife, Kathy. Uh, Kathy basically looks the same. Don't you think she looks the same, Josh? You, you're not sincere. That's not sincere. Okay. Uh, she looks basically the same. I look like one of the guys from Duck Dynasty. 
dressed as a pimp. No, that's wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said it. But worst tuxedo ever. I'd say, Greg, don't wear that tuxedo. Okay, but seriously, what would I say to a younger me? Number one, looking at a little boy, and here's a picture of me with my mother when I was just a little guy. Uh, this is in the 50s. You can see my mom was a dead ringer for Marilyn Monroe. And, and I'm a troubled little boy. I was living with my grandparents at that moment in time because she would leave me with the, my grandparents. I went to military school. And you can see I'm kind of uncomfortable, though I'm rocking the jeans even back then, though. I like that, saying <laughs> Things haven't really changed. But here's another picture of me as a little kid. Um, I'm waiting. There it is. Okay. That, that's not a real gun. But in Alabama, you might think it's cool if it was a real gun. I don't know. We're very liberal with guns uh, in California. So anyway, I'd say to this little kid, Craig, it's going to be okay. You know, when you're a kid and you're facing trauma, you're facing rejection, you're facing abuse, you're facing hardship, you don't know how you will survive it. And that's why a lot of young people today, even more today than any other time that I can remember, have started taking their own lives. It's really a frightening thing. Members of Generation Z and also uh, millennials have high levels of anxiety and stress and one-third of Gen Z struggles with suicidal thoughts. So here's what I would say. It's going to be okay. If I'm talking to a young person right now, it's going to be okay. I'm not promising you a trouble-free life. I'm not saying it won't be hard. But I'm saying if you have Christ in your life, he's going to get you through whatever you are going through. And ultimately, it's going to be okay. Because he loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And he's thinking about you all the time. The Lord says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. I love that verse. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, present tense. Not past tense. If God had said, I know the single thought I once had about you in passing, that would be good enough for me to think that the almighty creator of the universe had a thought about me. But that's not what he says. He says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts, plural, many. And they're thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope and a better way to translate that would be an expected end. God is in control of your life. We don't believe in chance. We believe in the sovereignty of God who can work all things together for good to those who love him. So whatever you're going through right now, it's either being done by or it's been allowed by God and he has some kind of purpose in it. And he promises that he is the author and the finisher of your faith. So I would say to young Greg, it's going to be okay. And really, this is a message for younger people too because they would say this, put God first in your life. As you're thinking about your career <clears throat> or maybe your ministry or your future or what you're going to do, put God first in your life. This started for me at age 17 when I asked Christ to come into my life. But from that point on, I've sought to find God's will for my life and God has a plan for you. He has a will for you. And God's will is better than your will. So if he overrules your plans, understand his plans are better than yours. My son Christopher, when he was a little boy, 
uh, we went to a toy store once and and I really spoiled him. I think because I had such a lousy childhood, I wanted him to have the greatest childhood. And I spoiled him. Uh, so we would go to toy stores randomly for no reason. And I remember, speaking of Star Wars, that that was when it came out the first time and, and they had all the little figures and the, you know, the Millennial Falcon and the X-Wing fighters and stuff. And so I said, Christopher, pick out a figure. You can have any figure you want. So he, he was looking around and he finally said, I'm going to get Han Solo, Dad. I said, great. And I'm looking up at the top shelf and they have the spacecraft. And I said, how about a millennial falcon to go with it? And I gave it to him when we come home and my wife sees this and she just rolls her eyes back, right? But coming back to the conversation, I said, Christopher, pick out anything you want. And he said, you choose for me, Dad. He's a smart kid. Because he knew I would go further than he would go. Don't ever be afraid to say to the Lord, you choose for me, Father. No good thing will he withhold from those that walk uprightly, the Bible says. So if God has said no to you, it's for a reason. It's gonna be okay. Put him first in everything. Put Christ first. Don't put career first. Don't put money first. Don't put ministry first. Don't put politics first. Put Christ first. That's it. That's worth clapping for. Go ahead. <clears throat> six of you agree, great. Okay, so <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? Contextually, he was saying, don't be like non-believers who only worry about what they're gonna eat, what they're gonna drink, what they're gonna wear. But you, seek first God's kingdom and God will supply all of these things for you. So put God first. You were created to bring glory to God. Isaiah 43, verse seven. Everyone who is called by my name, says the Lord, I've created for my glory. So put the Lord first in your life. Number three, this is a no-brainer, but some people miss it. Read the Bible every day. By the way, this is Pastor Chris's Bible. I left my Bible in my hotel room. I'm a failure as a preacher. But I want to give this away to someone. Who wants this one? No, no. He wouldn't be happy about that. So this is Pastor Chris's Bible. And uh, it's a heavy Bible. That's where he got those guns, right? Okay, so read the Bible every day. It's surprising to me how there are people that have known the Lord for years that somehow have forgotten about this. The secret to success in the Christian life is how much of the word of God you get into your life on a regular basis and how obedient you are to it. Let me say that again. Success or failure in the Christian life depends on how much of the word of God you get into your life on a daily basis and how obedient you are to it. Okay? So if you want to be a happy man or a happy woman, Someone tells you how. It says, blessed or happy is the man or the woman that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. Sorry to make this section the seat of the scornful. <laughs> but his delight is in the word of God. You guys, that's your, you're the good section. His delight is in the word of God and in it does he meditate day and night. It's not his duty as the word of God. His delight is to open up the word of God. Read the Bible every day and never lose that focus. Here's another thing to think about. Stop worrying and start praying. 
Worry doesn't make anything better. And there's a lot to worry about now. I mean, just go to your favorite news site. Open up the newspaper. We all know about the conflict in Ukraine. We know about the potential for it becoming something far larger. We're hearing talk of the potential of World War III or the use of nuclear weapons. I haven't heard this since I was a kid back in the 60s when we were told to hide under our desks in case there was an atomic blast, like our desk would have protected us. <laughs> but this is scary stuff, especially for young people. They're wondering, what does this all mean? You can be filled with anxiety and worry. But the Bible says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And the peace of God that passes all human understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The word worry comes from a root word, choke. And that's what worry does. It chokes you. I have five grandkids, by the way. And um, when they were little, they used to like to climb up and choke me. It was cute. They're little kids, three years old. Who cares, right? They came to me the other day. They're, some of them are teenagers now. They said, Papa, can we choke you again? No, you might kill Papa now. You see, it's, <laughs> Papa's older and you're stronger. And we're not playing the choke Papa game anymore. But worry chokes you out. It doesn't make things better. It actually makes them worse. Uh, Jesus said today's trouble is enough for today. So we need to develop what I would call a conditioned reflex. A conditioned reflex is different from a natural reflex. Natural reflex, you're born with it. Even if a little baby touches a hot stove, they'll pull back. Uh, you do, if that's your reflex kicking in. I heard about a guy that went to a doctor. He had two severely burned ears. Doctor said, I've never seen anything like this. Sir, how did you burn your ears? The man said, well, doc, I was ironing and someone called me on the phone and I answered the iron <laughs> instead of the phone. Doctor said, okay, I get how you would burn one ear. How did you burn the other ear? He says, well, they called back. <laughs> These are the jokes, people. Okay. Anyway. So, you know, natural reflex, a conditioned reflex is something we learn to do. I love how in the South and in your state especially, people are polite. Yes, ma'am. Uh, no, sir. How are you? Uh, there's respect in this culture. We don't have this in California, I'm telling you, for the most part. But I've tried to teach those same values uh, to my sons as well. But that's a conditioned thing. You're taught that, right? So when the, someone sings a, a, the national anthem, you know, we stand and we put our hand over our heart, perhaps. It's respect. That's something we've learned to do. So the next time worry overtakes you, put prayer in its place. No, I'm not going to worry about it. I reject this and I'm going to turn my worry into prayer. I'm going to turn my panic into prayer, my worry into worship, and I'm going to be very deliberate and give it over to God. It says in the book of Peter, cast all of your care upon him for he cares for you. In the original language, it, it speaks of a deliberate act of not worrying and deliberately giving it over to God. I don't know how it works in your house, but I'm the official guy who takes the trash out. Uh, and I hate taking the trash out. And I don't know why. It's not that big of a deal. I have wheels on my trash can. My, my house is not far from the curb. It's, oh, i got to take the trash out. But God is effectively saying, 
Take your trash out. Take your worries, your concerns, and cast them on me because I care for you. Turn your worries into worship. Pray instead of worrying. Here's another one. Have an attitude of gratitude. Oh, I know you get up and you have a cold or this isn't right or another thing is wrong and, and you start complaining. Stop and think about all that God has done for you. The Bible says, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. It doesn't say give thanks to the Lord when you feel good. Because I don't always feel good. But God is always good. And as I mentioned in Rome, you're so much more responsive than the first service. Okay, never mind. Because they just sat there and looked at me like, are you done yet? They're all going to hate me now because you're going to tell them. Do you know anyone from the first service? Don't tell them I said this stuff to you. But anyway, remember again, it says God works all things together for good to those that love him. So have an attitude of gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord. Here's another one. Live with honesty and integrity. Live with honesty and integrity. You know, there are people in life that appear to get ahead by cutting corners. They, they lie on their resume. Uh, they, they cheat on the test. And meanwhile, here's you being honest, doing it the right way. And it seems like they're succeeding and you aren't. Just give it time. Because those things will catch up with them. The Bible says you'll reap what you sow. And that can be positive or negative. It says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. If he sows of the flesh, he'll reap corruption. But if he sows of the spirit, he'll reap life everlasting. You see? So be a man of integrity. Be a woman of honesty. And you'll be glad that you did. Psalm 101 verse 2 says, be careful to live a blameless life. I'll lead a life of integrity in my own home. Be that person. You'll be glad you were. Here's another one. Number seven, marry the right person. Okay, quick poll. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. How many of you are married? Okay, most of you. How many of you are single? Raise your hand up. Okay, how many of you who are single would like to be married one day? Raise your hand up. You're single. You'd like to be married. Okay, lift your hand up if you're single and you want to be married. Hold it up. Keep it up. Now look around. Just look around. There's potential. Come on. I met my wife in church. Okay, how many of you who are married, who are married, want to be single again? Raise your hand. No, don't. Don't. Josh, I saw you lift your hand up. Marry the right person. Listen, if you're single, take your time. Don't rush this. Because this is a lifetime commitment. Wedlock should be a padlock. Look for someone more godly than you are. Uh, it's so very important. And if your love is real, it will stand the test of time. Marriage is not so much finding the right person, it's being the right person. But let me say, I like the words of Benjamin Franklin who said, quote, keep your eyes wide open before marriage and half shut afterwards. <laughs> See, I think a lot of times our eyes are half shut before we get married. And then when we're married, it's like, whoa, I didn't know what, what I was doing here. Yeah, that's why you take your time. But once you're married, your marriage is going to go through rough spots. Your marriage is going to go through times where maybe you don't feel the love. You've lost the romance. Here's my word of advice to you. And by the way, my wife 
and I are getting ready to celebrate 50 years of marriage. So we're thankful. Reminds me of the man who was having his 25th anniversary, wedding anniversary with his wife. And the whole family was gathered and he said, my dear wife, for your anniversary, I'm sending you on an all expense paid trip to China. She was said, that's wonderful. Uh, I thank you so much. What are you gonna do for the 50th anniversary? He says, that's when I will pick you up. So that's, <laughs> that's not good, that's not good. I was uh, talking with Cliff Barrows once. You know who he is? Longtime associate of Billy Graham. And he said to me this, Greg, there's eight words you should say to your spouse every day. Here they are. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. And then he said, I would add these words as well. It was my fault. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. It was my fault. Husbands are the spiritual leader in a marriage. You set the pace. But in far too many marriages, the wife is the more spiritually motivated. And the husbands are kind of going along for the ride. Be the spiritual leader in your homes, men. Love your wife as Christ loves the church, the Bible says. The Bible specifically says to husbands, love your wives. And then it specifically says to wives, respect your husbands. It doesn't mean that a wife should not love her husband, nor does it mean a husband should not respect his wife, but the Bible specifically says, guys, love your wife. She can't read your mind. You need to verbalize it. When's the last time you told your wife you love her? And wives, respect your husbands. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That is what he needs from thee, okay? <laughs> respect and love. Do your part. And if you don't feel it, do it anyway. It's funny, I mentioned those words to say to your spouse. And I put those in a, a devotion. I have a daily devotional I send out. And a guy who goes to our church named Larry read it. Okay, so say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. And it was my fault. So he says, I'm gonna try this. So he walks into the other room. There's his wife. He says, honey, I wanted to just say something to you. I'm sorry. Uh, please forgive me. I love you. And it was my fault. He says, great. She started crying. She said, Larry, I can't believe you said that to me. He says, well, I, I just read it in Greg's devotional. I, did. I said, you shouldn't have said that. Just let it be. That was awesome. And at another point, tell those you love that you love them. Tell them. We have so many people that we love so deeply. When's the last time you told them? Hey, you could text them. Better yet, write a note. You can write a note to your mom, your dad, your grandparents, your son, your daughter, your wife, and say, I love you. I just wanted to say, I love you. Because you never know when there'll be a moment when you can't say it to them anymore. So 13 years ago, our oldest son, Christopher, died in an automobile accident. It was the worst day of our lives. Frankly, I didn't know if I was gonna even be able to survive it. But God has been with us as we've walked through this grief and this tremendous loss. You know, and sometimes people come to someone who's lost a child and they'll say, are you over it yet? Just a word of advice, never say that to someone who has lost a child. They'll never be over it, ever. But they'll get through it with God's help. But be patient with them. 
Because, you know, if you lose your husband, uh, you're a widow. If you lose your wife, you're a widower. If you lose your parents, you're an orphan. So what are you if you lose a child? There's no word. Maybe because, it, because it's so awful and painful, there's no word to really describe it. But I, my son knew I loved him. I told him every time I saw him, I love you. I love you, Dad. Tell those you love that you love them. Do it each and every day and keep short accounts and forgive. That's point number nine. Keep short accounts and forgive. Don't harbor bitterness toward people. Listen, people are gonna hurt and disappoint you in life. Husbands will hurt wives. Wives will hurt husbands. Parents will disappoint children. Children will disappoint parents. Friends will let friends down. It's gonna happen. But we can get angry at someone and we can hold a grudge against them and harbor bitterness and it can eat us up inside. Listen, it's vital that you forgive, not just for the person, but maybe in some ways more for you. The Bible says, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness is not about absolving the perpetrator. It's about healing the victim. It's gonna do more good for you than probably it does for them. Forgiveness isn't giving in to another person. It's getting free of that person. Just forgive and put it in your past. Number 10, this one might surprise you. Just be a nice person. Do I have to say this? Actually, I do. There's a new phrase that's become popular where people say, you're acting like a Karen. Have you heard this? Is anyone named Karen? Raise your hand if you're named Karen. I'm sorry. It's a great name. But somewhere, some woman named Karen flipped out over something and someone shot it on their phone and it got posted and it went viral and now we say, don't be a Karen. But a Karen is basically someone that overreacts to something. Don't be that person. Ephesians 4.31 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful and your words be an encouragement to those who hear them. Be known as an encourager, not a discourager. Build people up, don't beat them down. Some people, all they have to say is criticisms and putting others down. Be the person that when you walk in the room, people are happier there. Don't be Bobby Buzzkill or Debbie Downer. We all know people like this. They're just a downer. You know, you're having a great meal. That was a great meal. I loved it. And the sun setting, what a perfect day. And they say, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Yeah, that is a verse in the Bible, but it's out of context. And you are officially Debbie Downer, so stop. <laughs> Don't be that person. Be a nice person. Be a kind person. And make the right choices in life. Every day we have to make lots of choices. Some important, some not so important. Take Taco Bell as an example. Does anyone here like Taco Bell? I like Taco Bell. I, I like their food, but they have too many new things on their menu and I'm confused. <laughs> Back home we have a hamburger place called In-N-Out Burger. How many of you have ever been to In-N-Out Burger? Okay, okay. people say, oh, Five Guys is just as good. No, it is not. <laughs> In-N-Out is better. I say that with great bias. But uh, 
in and out Burger. What do you want? Burger, fries, mall. The end. Nothing else. Taco Bell, now it's like all the normal stuff we order, but all these new things like the cheesy gordita crutch, the spi- crunch, not crutch, spicy potato soft taco. I don't know what these things are. I would like to try them, but there's a line of people behind me, so I just order what I always order, a burrito or a taco or whatever. But choices, okay, those choices don't matter, but other choices do matter. Every day when you get up, you have choices to make. Am I going to open the Word of God or neglect the Word of God? Am I going to be a loving husband or not? Am I going to be a wife that strengthens my marriage or not? Am I going to put God's will above my own? Because you make your choices, then your choices make you. And this is really important when you're young. Because the evening of your life is determined by the morning of your life. The end from the beginning. So if you make right choices, you'll reap the blessings that come with those later in life. And if you make the wrong choices, you'll reap the consequences of those that come later in life as well. Here's a couple more and I'm done. Tell others about Jesus and disciple them. Tell others about Jesus and disciple them. We all know the Great Commission. It's to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things that Christ has commanded us. There is something, listen, life-giving about sharing your faith. And I think sometimes Christians miss this. We're nervous about it. We're uncomfortable doing it. But as you give out this good news, it replenishes your supply. Uh, given it shall be given unto you, Jesus says, pressed down, shaking together, running over with the same measure you give, it will be given back to you. Share your faith and get a new believer in your life and disciple them. It'll replenish you. Listen, new believers need older believers to stabilize them. Older believers need younger believers to energize them. The church has a choice. We can evangelize or we can fossilize. So it's really important, not only for the people that are hearing the gospel, it's important for us too to share our faith and disciple people. So one last point and I'm done. We're in a race, so run it well. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, I fought the good fight, I kept the faith, I finished the course, Henceforth there is later for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me in that day, and not to me only, but to all who love is appearing. We're all in the race of life. Some of you are in the beginning. Some of you are in the middle. Some of us are closer to the end. We want to run this race well. I love the words of Paul to the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20, when he said, I want to finish my race with joy. So maybe there's somebody here who's walked with the Lord, but you've stumbled and you've fallen. Okay, get back up and get in the race of life again. Maybe there's somebody else that started well, but you're not doing as well. You get in the race as well. I love how the music kicks in. It's like the Academy Awards. My speech is over. <laughs> get off the stage, California preacher, and don't come back, y'all. Okay. So I'm almost done. And when a preacher says he's almost done, there could be an hour longer, but there won't be. So Three Circle Church, God bless you. Thank you for being here. And let me say, the key to running the race of life is to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. I've known the Lord now for over 50 years. 
and he has been so faithful to me. And I want to cross that finish line and hear him say to me one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And I know you want to hear that as well. So put your eyes on Jesus. Because Hebrews says, tells us in Hebrews 12, lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily slows you down and run with endurance the race that is set before you, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Let's pray. Lord, help us keep our eyes focused on you. Thank you, thank you for all you've done in our lives and all that you're doing in our lives. Help us to take these truths from Scripture to heart, to open your word each and every day, to forgive those who have hurt us, to express our love verbally to those that we care about so deeply, to make the right choices, to be men and women of integrity, and to run this race well. Lord, we too want to finish it with joy. So bless us now as we go our way. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.